Hi, I'm Cleo, and this is the podcast in which I use my PhD in English to interpret the songs of Taylor Swift. So I wanted to talk about Taylor's Christmas songs this week, but was kind of trying to figure out my approach. I find Christmas Tree Farm especially interesting. So I called my academic consultants, my friends Claire and Murray, and we sort of close read the lyrics, and they gave me some really good insights into some of the strangeness of those lyrics that helped me to write this episode on consciousness in the work of Taylor Swift. So I'm going to read the lyrics of Christmas Tree Farm, and then talk a little bit about what it means to think about consciousness in relation to literature, and then go into a close reading of this song in relation to some of Taylor's other roughly contemporaneous songs. Christmas Tree Farm by Taylor Swift My winter nights are taken up by static stress and holiday shopping traffic, but I close my eyes and I'm somewhere else just like magic. In my heart is a Christmas tree farm, where the people would come to dance under sparkling lights, bundled up in their mittens and coats, and the cider would flow, and I just want to be there tonight. Sweet dreams of holly and ribbon, mistakes are forgiven, and everything is icy and blue, and you would be there too, under the mistletoe, watching the fire glow, and telling me I love you. Just being in your arms takes me back to that little farm where every wish comes true. In my heart is a Christmas tree farm. There's a light in the barn. We'd run inside out from the cold and the town. Kids are dreaming of sleighs, and they're warm and they're safe. They wake to see a blanket of snow. Sweet dreams of holly and ribbon. Mistakes are forgiven, and everything is icy and blue, and you would be there too. Under the mistletoe, watching the fire glow, and telling me I love you. Just being in your arms takes me back to that little farm farm where every wish comes true. And when I'm feeling alone, you remind me of home. Oh, baby, baby, Merry Christmas. And when the world isn't fair, I'll pretend that we're there. Baby, baby, Merry Christmas. To you, under the mistletoe. To you, watching the fire glow and telling me I love you. Baby, baby, Merry Christmas. Oh, baby, baby, Merry Christmas. Baby, baby, Merry Christmas, because I love you. Oh, baby, baby, Merry Christmas. Oh, baby, baby, Merry Christmas. Oh, baby, baby, Merry Christmas. May your every wish come true. I love you. So literature and consciousness is a field of literary studies, and it can take different forms, but it mostly involves applying scientific insights about how brains work to literature or drawing on philosophy, and generally thinking about the depiction of minds and interiority in literature. So I was reading around a little bit, and I was especially interested in this book I found, Daphne Grace's Beyond Bodies, Gender, Literature, and the Enigma of Consciousness, in which Grace discusses mostly 19th and 20th century novels in the context of women being trapped for centuries within homes and texts, which she suggests might have been the reason for, quote, literary outputs that focused on an exploration of subjectivity. And she opens the book with a quotation from the writer Virginia Woolf that, as a woman writer, Woolf faces the double obstacle of the severe severity of men's condemnation and, quote, telling the truth about my own experiences as a body. Women writers of this period in particular are really drawn to the idea of exploring their interiority, their consciousness, which is also a way of talking about their bodies and the ways in which they're perceived. So in Taylor Swift's The Man, as we discussed in the episode on irony in season one, Taylor imagines it in the music video plays a version of herself as a man. 
If she were a man, Taylor claims, I would be complex. I would be cool. In fact, as she plays him, the man version of Taylor is not so much complex as a public nuisance. You know, man spreading on the subway and lurching off to urinate next to a wall covered with graffiti of Taylor's album titles. In fact, the man's complexity is not so much inherent in him as it is inherent in Taylor's distance from his actions, in the tension between the envy and disgust that she seems to feel at imagining the freedom from judgment that would come from being a man and the resulting inability to see oneself from the outside. It is, in fact, the Taylor who is not a man who is actually complex, who is actually cool, who is not the one urinating in the subway station, but the one constructing around this act of urination a vast Easter egg, the edges of which are still becoming clear. Just Google Easter eggs in the man music video if you don't believe me, and you'll find a number of theories uh, that Taylor's imaginary organ is potentially pointing to the dates of re-release of her various albums. In other words, you know, the man Taylor's peeing standing up, but the woman Taylor's orchestrating a vast plot to take back control of her music from the music overlords. I still don't understand the details, and to be fair, I think the details don't really matter. Anyway, Taylor's imaginary phallus is more powerful and, I don't know, complex than actual phalluses. Don't blame me, this is Taylor's point, as it were, I'm just explaining it. So anyway, in that episode, I described this probably citing too much Kierkegaard at the time as a kind of freedom. A freedom from needing to mean what you say, which is also a freedom from the time period in which you live. A freedom that negates what is rather than imagining what could be. The point is certainly that Taylor feels that as not a man, and therefore not the man, she is someone excluded from a position of power. She can't do whatever she wants. But what she can do is parody those who can, make fun of the lack of scrutiny they receive precisely by scrutiny. Them. A man is a woman who is allowed to be mad, or uh, as Taylor describes herself on Evermore, mad woman. And to get back to Grace, the academic who wrote that book on consciousness, the mad woman is the image of women talking about their consciousness in 19th century fiction. Quote, the mad woman in the attic is writing back to the men holding the keys. And of course, you know, this is not the only way in which Taylor sees herself to be under scrutiny. She is scrutinized not just because of her gender, but because she is famous. One way to get out of the criticism that is coming her way, whatever she does, is to be a man. Another is to run away, as she does in I Know Places and Run. But a third is to create an internal world in which she has control of what happens. And that is what she does in Christmas Tree Farm. In that song, she writes, I close my eyes and I'm somewhere else just like magic. And that place is actually inside her own heart. It's not in the external world. In my heart is a Christmas tree farm where the people would come to dance under sparkling lights, etc. And I just want to be there tonight. The heart is interestingly a place where people would come, where she wishes she could be tonight, sort of this conditional, wishful place. Uh, she in fact seems to be with a lover who is telling her he loves her. But this only takes her back to that little farm, the farm in her heart, but also the Christmas tree farm on which she grew up in Pennsylvania, a charming piece of her backstory that here comes to represent a time before fame and childhood and also nature, albeit a sort of curated nature. My friend Murray pointed out that imagining your heart as a Christmas tree farm means imagining people coming and taking away pieces of it, which certainly feels like a very Swiftian implication. And I would add that as much as this seems like a retreat from shopping traffic, in fact, it is just another place where holiday shopping is happening. But anyway, the heart, the Christmas tree farm here becomes a place to retreat from the traffic of the real world, a place where she can be in control of what happens, of how people feel. 
Although she invites the lover to the farm in her heart, she seems to be more attracted to the vision of him she imagines rather than the one actually there. For example, she says, when I'm feeling alone, you remind me of home. In other words, when she's feeling alone with him, he takes her back to the farm in her own heart. He reminds her of the home that she is not currently in. This caused me to remember that really striking fact about an early part of Taylor's career, which is that there was a period of time in which she was writing about love affairs that didn't actually really happen. Songs like Enchanted, Hey Stephen, and Mine were written about people she knew only slightly, dated for only a brief period, or never actually dated at all. The world of her imagination, which is here her heart, becomes a place in which to really experience a love affair. And it's only by retreating into herself and also into her past that she can manage to not feel alone. This is a similar move to the song Ready For It, in which she says, In the middle of the night, in my dreams, you should see the things we do, baby. In the middle of the night, in my dreams, I know I'm gonna be with you. And this is a really interesting thing, because she's talking about being alone, but imagining herself with this potential lover. And this is, interestingly, a song that imagines being confined, saying, he can be my jailer. She imagines being jailed, you know, in a way, maybe, for the heist she committed in the past, which here, as in Getaway Car, she uses as metaphors for old love affairs, stealing hearts and running off and never saying sorry. But then she says that her, you know, her new lover can join the heist. And seemingly instead of, or in addition to joining the heist, he becomes her jailer. I mean, this is not a very well thought through metaphor, but I think that, that in some ways that's probably the point. And at the same time as sort of explaining that she imagines in her dreams that they're going to be together and imagining sort of this confinement of this future love affair that's going to happen, the song also repeats the phrase, let the games begin. And it's actually hard to understand this phrase in listening to the song. I did not know that this is what it said until I looked up the lyrics. For some reason, I thought she was saying cupcakes uh, instead of the games. Um, and this is actually because it's one of the very rare moments where Taylor's meter is just off. The emphasis falls on the instead of games or begin, which is just the wrong place for that emphasis to fall if you want your song to be understandable. And actually, we were talking about Sondheim a few weeks ago, and this actually reminds me of something that he said about about there's a place for us, there's a place for us, um, sort of putting the emphasis there, which he regretted later. Taylor is usually very, very good at fitting words to music, unlike someone like Olivia Rodrigo, for example, who doesn't really care where the emphasis falls. I think in some ways, because this cultivates sort of a somewhat amateurish, devil-may-care approach to songwriting, so that she's just a girl, you know, writing songs in her room with her with her guitar. Uh, for example, Rodrigo names the whole song Happier, and then goes on to pronounce it happy throughout the entire song because that's what the, you know, the, the rhythm of the song absolutely requires. And I've always thought that Taylor just really wanted to get this phrase in, you know, even though it didn't quite fit. And I do see this as a Hunger Games reference. That was my understanding of this line. I thought that this was the consensus. I'm not entirely sure why, but that was what I sort of, my, that was my feeling about this line. But the genius lyrics annotations, interestingly, don't actually mention the Hunger Games. Although Although they're otherwise very insightful, and I'm just going to read them to you because I think that they sort of suggest a few ways of interpreting this that I think are that I think make a lot of sense. So these are the genius lyrics annotations for this line, quote 
And Taylor sets herself up as someone in a position of power, announcing the start of something new. The games she mentions could mean sex, which would make sense given the suggestive lyrics, the media coverage that comes with dating such a big star, or love. She's also referred to love as a game in songs like State of Grace and Blank Space. Or they could simply be suggesting the start of the dramatic message she intends to send with the rest of Reputation. The first snippet of the song was revealed in a commercial aired during a college football game on September 2nd, 2017. Um, And I don't know whether that last bit is true, but it's certainly a really interesting point if it is. I do think this is a reference to Hunger Games, in part because the plot of the first book involves this kind of fake or somewhat fake romance played out to media scrutiny, which is something that I think Taylor relates to. Um, And she did read at least the first book in the course of writing songs for the movie soundtrack and apparently really enjoyed it. And finally, you know, her song Safe and Sound, which is part of the Hunger Games soundtrack, relates the same move inward as Ready For It and Christmas Tree Farm. And in that song, she sings, Just close your eyes, the sun is going down, you'll be all right, no one can hurt you now. Come morning light, you and I'll be safe and sound. Don't you dare look out your window, darling, everything's on fire. The war outside our door keeps raging on. Hold on to this lullaby, even when the music's gone. And here the song itself becomes this place into which to retreat. Interestingly, you know, even when the music's gone, so that it's just the memory of the song to retreat into. You'll be safe and sound in the song, even though everything's on fire. In music, in dreams, in her heart, Taylor creates enclosures in which her relationships play out, because it's in her imagination that she has complete control. And interestingly, that imagination then, from being private, becomes public, because it becomes the subject of a song. This is something that's really interesting about Taylor Swift. As much as her music is supposedly about real life, a lot of it is about imagining your own life. So I don't think we should be at all surprised that she built folklore and evermore as enclosures in which to watch imaginary people act out their lives. I think that in some ways, this was something that was already happening. She just happened to be the protagonist of a lot of her own sort of imaginary adventures. Thank you for listening to Studies in Taylor Swift. You can send in questions or comments to studiesintaylorswift at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, it would be great if you could rate and or review it if you want to. You're listening to Happy Strumming by Audionautics. Audionautics.